0: I do want to say welcome to Journey, especially if you're our guest. We're delighted to be with you today and hope today is meaningful and significant uh, for you. I apologize in advance for the sound of my voice. I just sound terrible and, uh, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to listen to me. And so just uh, forgive me for that. Dana, my wife, got sick. And uh, when she got sick, I said, all right, honey, you just got to, like, stay away, all right? I cannot have that crud infecting me. But it's just so difficult for her to stay away. And so... Wishful thinking, Hopkins, right? I picked it up nonetheless. And we're in a series around here that we started last week called Advent Redux, A Christmas Tradition Made New. And these messages on these weekends leading up to Christmas and culminating in both of our Christmas Eve services are designed to actually bring back and make new this centuries-old tradition of Advent toward a more meaningful Christmas season, right? Right? It isn't just about shopping. It isn't just about materialism. It isn't just about baking and gifts and parties and so on. There's something more to Christmas, see? And today we're talking specifically about hope. Last weekend we talked about good news and we lit the good news candle on our Advent wreath. And today we're going to talk about hope and we're going to light the hope candle. And we've asked the butlers to come and help us with that. And so if Jeff and Crystal, Braden Walker and Garrett would come on down. And I just want you to know that these guys are... Some of my heroes around Journey Church, Brayden and Garrett and Walker, are triplet boys, okay? And, uh, like, I've got twin boys, and, like, it almost killed Dana and I. And so you add one more to the mix, and you guys are my heroes. So these are your new heroes, right? Uh, Do you want me to give the match to one of these guys? No, probably not. Here, give you the match. There's strikers right there. You're all right. Just make yourselves at home. It's fun up here. Oh, oh, no, she says. No, not. Oh, he's going to play the guitar. Here, I'll help. I'll help. Watch your dad light. Look, look. Look, he's lighting the candle. He's going to light the candle. the Yep, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Way to go. Give the butlers a hand if you would. I'll take those from you. Good job. Thanks, guys. Nice going! Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good job. Merry Christmas. Way to go. Love you guys. Oh, thank you. Nice going. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> oh, priceless. Way to go. You're off to a safer place now, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. You've all seen the epic film, The Shawshank Redemption, I'm certain. And in that film, a young banker named Andy Dufresne, he's convicted of murdering his wife and her lover. He's sentenced to two consecutive life sentences at the the notorious, though fictional, Shawshank prison in Maine. Once at the prison, Andy meets fellow inmate, Ellis Boyd Red Redding, who is serving just a single life sentence. Andy gradually becomes acquainted with Red. He becomes Andy's closest friend and confidant. And after years behind bars, a slew of quite atypical prison activity, you know what I'm talking about if you've seen the film, One day, Andy tells Red, sidles up next to him and tells him that if he ever gets out of prison, that he should go to a specific hayfield near Buxton, Maine, and he should find something that's been buried there. The very next morning, Andy is missing from his cell. He's missing from the prison entirely. Furious over Andy's disappearance, the prison warden manages to uncover a very large hole in Andy's cell wall that he had used to escape From the prison through. A short time after Andy's escape, his friend Red is finally released on parole after serving 40 years at Shawshank. And Red recalls his promise to Andy shortly before his escape, and he heads to the field that Andy told him about. Watch this.
1: Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? to I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. Get busy living, or get busy dying. For the second time in my life, I'm guilty of committing a crime. Parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that. Not for an old crook like me. Fort Hancock, Texas, please. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still a whole of thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams.
0: a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. It's a fantastic line. And while we sit in this room today, and while we light the hope candle on the Advent wreath on our way to Christmas, truth is that for lots and lots of us sitting in this room today, our personal hope candle has all but gone out, hasn't it? at least it feels like it has maybe for you hope has nearly been extinguished maybe it's just been partially obscured nonetheless hope might be waning for you in these days it's my belief that if i were to take a survey of this room today that we would find that despite being christmas time the supposed great season of hope for lots and lots of us Hope is incredibly difficult for us to find in these days. Because it's just true, isn't it, that hope is very difficult to find when we're carrying the things that some of us are carrying. The weight that some of us in this room are bearing up under right now is almost unbearable. There's so much stuff that we're toting around. And there's this song that we listen to and there's this song that we sing, especially this time of year. It's the Christmas song. "O oh, little town of Bethlehem, you know the song, don't you? And we get to that line near the very end of that song. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You know the line. And some of us hear that line. Some of us sing that line. And some of us wonder as we do we really wonder whether it's true that the hopes and the fears of all the years are really met in thee tonight. And what happens for lots of people is that their personal flame of hope feels like it's gone out. That causes us in turn not to feel the things that everyone says we're supposed to feel this time of year. People say that we're supposed to feel merry and joyful and celebrative and hopeful most of all but lots of us don't because we're carrying this stuff and because we've got questions about what this Christmas deal is really all about. Is it really true that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the person of Jesus Christ on that first Christmas night? We wonder, and then we wonder from that point, if they are, if it's really true, And what's up with all the pain and what's up with all the hardship? What's up with all the bad news? Especially the bad news in my life, the bad news in my world. Why then, if the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the person of Jesus Christ, why do I feel so incredibly hopeless? And we wonder. But instead of pressing into those questions... What lots of us do is simply immerse ourselves in the activity of the season, all the baking activity, all the shopping activity, all the party activity, all the gift-giving activity, all of the activity that we're also familiar with. And we never step over the line and get to answering those difficult questions because we've really just glossed right over the top of them with this thin veneer of busyness and activity and hubbub, right? Hope is often incredibly difficult to find, isn't it? And not only is it difficult to find, frankly, it's also very difficult to define what is hope. Some people, they see hope as just this optimistic feeling that everything's just gonna turn out fine, right? That's hope. Now, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan, and that's my definition of hope that everything's just going to turn out fine. The Super Bowl is in our sights. Five and eight, woo, hoping for the Super Bowl. No. For others of us, hope is like wishful thinking, isn't it? Sometimes we wishful think about the weather. I hope it's not too cold today. Hope's dashed against the rocks right outside. For some of us, hope is just this anticipatory feeling that some desire will be fulfilled somehow. I heard the story of two guys, their names were Larry and Elmer. They were out hunting and they got lost. Trying to reassure his friend, Larry said, don't lose hope. All we gotta do is shoot in the air three times, stay where we are, and just hope that someone finds us. So they did. They shot into the air three times, but no one came. And they did a whole lot of hoping. After a while, they tried again, still no response. They decided to try just one more time, but not before Elmer said, I hope it works this time. We're down to our last three arrows. (laughs) Pretty sure those guys were hunters from a neighboring state of ours, just a little to the east of here. (laughs) I didn't mention any names. But the Bible offers us a few definitions of hope that get more to the heart of what hope really is, in my view. How about this one? Hope is a future certainty grounded in a present reality. A future certainty grounded in a present reality. How about this one? Hope is awaiting what God has already promised. From Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. You can follow along on the side screens. But those who hope in the Lord, the Bible says, will renew their strength. That's a promise, by the way. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The word hope, then, it seems, has much more in view than just being this wishful sense of optimism about what might be, what could be. Now there's this concept from the craft of rope making. It gets right to the heart of what biblical hope really is in my view. Very often, you know how this works, when a rope is made, two or more strands of fiber or material are twisted or braided together. They're somehow inextricably bound together in this manufacturing process. And I've been thinking about hope a lot like making a rope, some rhyming in there. I'm going to ask uh, my friend Brian Gifford if he would come right up here. Brian, come on up and just come right over here if you would. Brian uh, is a former colleague of mine over at our Mama Church, Harvest in Billings. He leads the discipleship department over there. And uh, well, you're just up for this challenge, I promise you. So you just hold very tightly to that end. Some people have a name for that end right there. You just stand right there. But I won't say what that end is often called in some lines of work. And here's how I'm thinking about hope these days, and maybe this would be helpful for you as well. Hope is all about hanging our hats on the promises of God, the promises that he's made from the very beginning of time, right? Promises that God has made, promises that God has kept, promises that are rooted in the actual character and nature of God himself. And I want you to think about this green strand as being the promises of God made Centuries pass. Thousands of years pass. And then I want you to think about this red rope as being our pain and our difficulty, and our challenge, and the hardships of life that we're all carrying, the stuff of life that many of us right now are bearing up under, that's causing our hope to actually wane, that's causing our flame of hope to actually be extinguished. And I want you to see hope as weaving the promises of God, the green strand, in with the red strand of the stuff that we're carrying, inextricably binding God's promises in our pain, and in our difficulty, and in our challenge. Hope, you see, is a lot like a rope, the way I see it. And this has to be real tight, so you're going to have to hang real tight. You, you're just doing, st- isn't he doing a great job? I mean, you're just <laughs> up for this. You drove all the way from Billings, and man, are we putting you to good use. You get that? Yep. I want you to just hold on to that, right? Don't go anywhere. You just stay right there. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12. You know this verse. I'm sure you've seen this before. God does an interesting thing because in the midst of what hope is, his promises, our pain woven together God gives us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, represented by this white rope. And look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says. Three are even better, speaking of the rope making process, for what? A triple braided cord is not easily broken. And the third strand of the hope rope is the Savior. It's the person of Jesus Christ who is the very reason that we celebrate Christmas after all. Heaven's child, the true hope of all the world. And we intertwine the person of Jesus Christ. Hang on to that part right there, if you would. We intertwine the person of Jesus Christ with the promises of God of which Jesus was one of in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our challenge, in the midst of our difficulty, our hardship, our struggle, no matter what it is. And that, my friends... You've done very well. Give him a hand, would you? Is the image of hope. God's promises over thousands and thousands of years since the very beginning of time, interwoven with our pain and our struggle and our difficulty and our challenge, interwoven with the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the hope of all the world. We have hope because of who God is. Not just because of what he's done, but who he is at his very core of his being. Now, there's several dimensions to hope. By its very definition, hope is invisible. You could write that down. Hope is invisible. We can't see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says these words, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Hope isn't like a thing like this rope is that we can grab onto, not something we can touch, but it is just as real. Romans 8 24 and 25 says these words We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Those two verses are speaking the truth that if we're going to make hope a part of our everyday lives, it absolutely requires that we embrace hope's past, that we embrace hope's present, and we embrace hope's future dimensions, all of it, if we hope to make hope a part of our everyday lives. Incorporating hope into our everyday lives requires that we hold very tightly to God's past promises, that green strand, if you want to think about it like that. We've all read the Old Testament, haven't we? And all through those books of the Old Testament, we see that they and the people they led and preached to, they were looking forward to nothing more than the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, as God gradually revealed His plan to send His promised one Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1 captures this so well. We hear Isaiah literally plead these words. Look at Isaiah 64 1. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. It was Isaiah crying out to God. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. And Isaiah wasn't the only one who was longing and hoping that God would send the Messiah. And after all of that longing and after all of that hoping and after all of that waiting, God's promises were delivered on, weren't they? In the person of Jesus Christ, just the way God said it would come about. Look at Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Here is the promise. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. We'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Just as God had promised all those centuries before, Jesus was indeed born. He was indeed given the name Emmanuel, which does indeed mean God with us. God came down to earth on that first Christmas. And in Luke chapter two, there is this woman, her name is Anna, and Anna got... She understood that Jesus is and that Jesus was God's fulfillment of his past promises. And remember, not everyone in that day did. Not everyone was buying that Jesus was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, a lot of people today still haven't bought that Jesus is the Messiah. Look at Luke 2, 38. She came along, that's Anna, just as Simeon, who was another guy who got who Jesus really was. And Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, Jesus' earthly parents, and she, that's Anna, began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Anna saw the baby Jesus, and she saw and she knew who he was. That day he was presented at the temple and she gave thanks to God for who he was and then she spoke about who he was to everyone who was looking forward to God's rescue and that was a whole lot of people who were looking forward to God's rescue. Anna was not the only one. It was the entire population of the region of Palestine who had been waiting 400 years for God to break through into what had become a seemingly hopeless situation and deliver upon his past promises to them. And that day at that temple, Anna realized God had delivered. He did send his one and only son, the Messiah. Incorporating hope into our everyday lives requires that we hold very tightly to God's past promises. It also requires that we hold tightly to God's present help. You could write that down. That we hold very tightly to God's present help. Hear this clearly, please. No matter what it is that you are going through, no matter how much pain is pummeling you, no matter how much pain and difficulty is assaulting you, no matter how much failure you are feeling in this moment, you can count on God's help right here, right now. He does hear. He does care. He is with you. He has not left you. He is with you right here, right now. He is your present help. Look at Psalm 46.1. It speaks directly to this. God is our refuge and strength. Is is a present tense word, isn't it? Notice it is not was our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. See, there are very few things in this life that are absolutely certain. But one of the things that we can be absolutely certain of is the fact that sooner or later, everyone, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter how much money you have, runs up against something unexpected and unforeseen and not able to be predicted. For some, it might be a health issue. For some, it might be an unemployment issue or It might be a loneliness deal. It might be a straying child deal who that kid is so far off the rails and you have no idea what to do. It might be financial worry and pressure that you cannot fathom. It could be a relational blowout that just blindsided you out of nowhere. But get this, no matter what it is that has caught you by surprise, It is into those very moments that Jesus, who is the very hope of heaven, steps into the middle of our hurt and our pain and our sense of shock at what's unfolding and unraveling all around us right here and right now. God is our refuge and strength right now. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 speaks directly to this. Now the book of Lamentations is a lament. It's as bad as it gets. And the author of the Lamentations, the Lament, is crying out to God through the majority of the book. But even in the midst of crying out to God from the depths of despair, and I mean the depths of despair, look at what the author writes. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It's true. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. See the key? It's not just hoping for something that will relieve our suffering or will take away our pain or will make life easier. That's not the deal. It isn't just about hoping for something. Rather, the key is hoping in someone. Capital S, someone. The hope deal isn't even about just hoping for something from God, rather, it's all about hoping in God, hoping in who he is, who he's been since the very beginning of time. And Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 speaks to us about pain and difficulty and hardship actually having a place in God's plan, and that's difficult to hear. We don't like to hear that, but look at what Romans 5, 3, and 4 says. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, and that's hard to do to run rejoicing into our problems and trials. But Paul says, we can do it. Why? For we know that problems and trials help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. What a text. See, suffering and pain and hardship and difficulty all allows us the opportunity to press in and to persevere and for God to refine our character so that we end up having a hope that doesn't disappoint, so that we end up having a hope that doesn't fail, that isn't weak, so that we have a hope that's reminiscent of the psalmist in Psalm 25, verse five. Check this text out. All day long, I put my hope in you. All day long. I put my hope in you. And what the psalmist is getting at there is he wants an all day long kind of hope. He doesn't just want a hope in God that's fleeting. He doesn't just want a hope in God when times are good and life is easy and things are cruising along quite well. The psalmist is talking about a hope that is a 24-7 hope. Good, bad, ugly. All day long, I put my hope in you. David Henderson wrote these words. Despair comes when we believe what our eyes tell us. That when difficult circumstances play their hand, the game is over. That there's no trump card, no other hand to be played. Hold fast to hope means being unwilling to let circumstances have the last word. Despair says circumstances tell us what is true about God. Hope, though, says that God tells us what is true about circumstances. And that's the truth. Incorporating hope into our everyday lives requires that we hold very tightly to God's past promises, that we hold very tightly to his right here, right now, present help. It also requires that we look forward to God's future glory. You could write that down. God's future glory, because hope at the end of the day has a very strong future element to it, doesn't it? I remember seeing a Peanuts cartoon sometime back where Lucy and Linus, they're sitting in front of the TV, and Lucy all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, says to Linus, get me a glass of water. Like, no please or anything, just get me a glass of water. Linus looks at her, quite surprised, and asks, why in the world should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. And Lucy responds, and she responds with a promise. She says, all right, on your 75th birthday, I will bake you a cake, she says. Well, Linus, he's like, cool. He just gets up, and he heads to the kitchen. He's gonna get her the glass of water, and on his way to the kitchen, he says these words. Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. And see, this world that we live in This world that we're so much a part of screams at us every single day that what we see and what we're a part of right here and right now is all there is. This world screams out to us that our lives are just the sum total of our profession plus our possessions and that at death, it's all done, all gone. That's it, lights out. But the hope of God's future glory loudly proclaims that this world is not our home and this world is not our hope. And aren't you glad for that? The Bible says that for those whose lives have been intertwined with the life of Jesus Christ, have the hope of heaven a confident assurance of a future with God that extends beyond this life forever and ever and ever. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, meaning only for right here and right now, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. Because see, to hope actually means to wait, doesn't it? Galatians 5 5 says these words, but we who live by the Spirit, living by the Spirit is the person who walks with Jesus Christ, the person who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Eagerly wait. And see, it is only when we place our hope in God that we are freed from the compulsive pursuit and the compulsive need to always find the next thing that we think will bring satisfaction and life and hope to our souls. And our future hope of God's glory, frankly, all centers on Jesus Christ coming again. His second coming, we often call it. He came at Christmas the first time and he's coming back. An event that the Bible very strongly links to this concept of hope. Titus chapter 2 verse 13, check this out. We look forward with what? With hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. When he comes back, that's the day we look forward to with hope with anticipation, with excitement, with enthusiasm. It was almost exactly one year ago that harried homeowners who were seeking mortgage relief from a Bush administration hotline had to contend with a bit of misdirection from the president himself. Just as President Bush announced his plan to ease the mortgage crisis for consumers, he accidentally gave out the wrong phone number to the new Hope Now hotline, which had been set up by his administration to help mortgagees who were in a ditch with their adjustable rate mortgage. Instead of giving out the correct 1-888-995-HOPE number the president mistakenly announced that the number was one 800 hope which instead of connecting people to this mortgage hotline designed to alleviate suffering, actually instead dialed the Freedom Christian Academy, which was a Texas-based group which provides Christian-based homeschooling materials. Not so helpful to someone in a mortgage ditch, right? And see, it's my belief That every single person on planet Earth is seeking hope. We're after it. We're chasing it. We're in need of it. But lots of us are walking around absolutely convinced that just like those frantic mortgage holders, that we've been somehow given the wrong number to call because everywhere we turn, we don't see any hope. The truth, though, is that God desires more than anything to restore the hope of every person on planet Earth and he has given us the correct numbers to do just that. You might write these down. Number one, intertwine your life with Jesus' life. The person who wants to restore hope must intertwine your life with Jesus' life. That's the way to restore hope because, see, the single most unique quality of Christianity that sets us apart from every other world religion is the truth that God became flesh, Theologians have a big fancy word for this. They call it the incarnation. The incarnation. That's the infinite second person of the Trinity who created all things, becoming a baby. God in a bod, if you will. It's in the person of Jesus Christ that deity and humanity collided and actually had its full expression in Christ when the infinite became an infant. God became one of us in order to deliver the message of hope to us, to actually become our hope. The message, paraphrase of the Bible that talks about this, renders it this way, the word became flesh, that's Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word, that's Jesus Christ, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. For 33 years, God moved into our neighborhood, and that has significant meaning for us. What that tells us is that Jesus wants to be on very familiar terms with all of us, that Jesus wants to be close with all of us, that Jesus wants to interact with all of us. He doesn't just want to be some far-removed deity up on some shelf somewhere. He wants to be our right here, right now, ever-present help, ever-present hope. He wants to know us. Restoring hope comes through intertwining our life with Christ's life. It continues with God's word. You could write that down. Number two, God's word. And this is true. Making hope a part of our everyday life absolutely requires that we engage God's words about his past promises, his present help, and his future glory right through his text. Romans 15, four says these words, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Hope, see, it doesn't just come from conversations, Hope just doesn't come about because of situations improving or not. Rather, hope, as this verse unpacks for us, is actually lifted in us supernaturally as we take in God's word and gives us the ability to persevere and press in through problems and difficulty by giving us the encouragement right through his promises. We must interact with the text. If you don't have a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, you can understand, like, if, if you're using, like, a thee and thou and art thou Bible, like, put that on a shelf somewhere and tell me, because I want to get you another one. When was the last time you used thee and thou and art thou? You, you ne- never, right? You're going, hey, thee, how's that going? How art thou today? No. When we're interacting with God's Word, we ought to be reading something that speaks the language we speak. If you need a text... Talk to me. I'll get you one. It's that important. It's that important. Restoring hope comes through intertwining our lives with the life of Jesus Christ. It continues with God's Word being a part of our everyday lives. But get this it all starts with number three. You could write this down asking Jesus to be our Savior. If you're wondering how to restore the hope that you so long for, that you've been scratching around for, that you've been chasing after, it starts with the hope of the world, the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas time is all about. It's not about baking activity, it's not about shopping activity, it's not about gift giving activity, it's not about party activity or any other activity. Instead, Christmas is all about the person of Jesus Christ coming to give us, be our hope. Which is a very, very good thing, isn't it? I invite you to take your things and set them aside if you would. And just go to prayer. Just speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind. You can do that now. Ask you to please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for the next few moments, and just make this sacred time, sacred space for you and God. Maybe you're here today, and you have some business that you need to do with God. Maybe for you, it's around intertwining your life with His life. Maybe for you. It's about pursuing Jesus Christ with all of you. Not just calling yourself a Christian, but actually intertwining your life with the life of Jesus Christ and the fullness of life that he invites and intends for you. Maybe for you, the business with God that you need to do today has to do with his word becoming a staple source of hope for you maybe you have some decisions about how you interact with God's word, his text more often than you are right now just use this time, do whatever business you gotta do with God I invite you to listen into him be nudged by him, be prompted by him to actually cement some commitments to him about what needs to change from here on out And maybe as you sit in this room today, you know that God's been trying to get your attention for some time now on this matter of hope. Maybe you've been searching for true hope in lots and lots of places. But God wants you to know today that it is only found in Him. And I mean only found in Him. And perhaps you've come to understand that today. And perhaps you've come to understand today how much Jesus loves you, how incredibly much he gave for you, how he died on the cross as the payment for your sin, and how he wants more than anything to live in a relationship with you, a relationship that starts right here and right now and continues on for all of eternity. If that's you, You can choose to step into a relationship with God today by acknowledging that Jesus loves you immeasurably, that he died on the cross to be your sacrifice. And you can choose to put your faith and trust in him because of his death on the cross. And if that's the choice of your heart today, I'd invite you to express that to God. You can do that by praying along with me right where you're sitting a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be my hope and to give me hope and to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have, but today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for that sin and I ask you to please forgive me. Please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend and I want you to change me and God, I need you to clean my life up, please. And if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. Nothing carries more weight. It's such a big deal around here that we actually ask people to tell us, which I'm gonna ask you to do with me right now. I want you to know that nobody's going to embarrass you. I'm the only person looking around the room, but if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say yes? That's the decision of my heart today. I'm stepping into a relationship with the hope of the world, you right there. Right now, God is changing you and he's making you all new. Way to go. Life will never be the same. Hope is yours. Are there any others? I don't want to miss anybody. God, we love you. God, we love you immeasurably. And we thank you so much for making a way for us to live in relationship with you. God, the fact that we don't have to scratch around and claw and wonder after the source of hope is astounding to us, that you just provided hope to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We receive that gift, and we worship you and obey you in gratitude, God, for such a gift. God, I pray for us as a community that we would be your conduits of hope into the lives of people all around us who are wandering hopeless these days. That we would be able to be your hands and feet in their life, in their world, pointing them toward you, God. Empower us to do that. Give us courage and boldness because that's not always easy, Father. Prompt us, please, with people in our lives who are in special need of your hope these days. Nudge our hearts and our mouths to say just the right thing and do just the right thing. Please, God, our commitment to you is that we'll trust you, we'll obey you, we'll follow you. Even when it seems a little weird, we'll just, we'll go. We'll go because you came to us. And we say thank you. Thank you. Our whole lives are lived as a thank you to you for all you've done. You are our hope, and we rest and we live in you, God. We pray all of this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, the hope of all the world, and the church said,